0: well good morning everyone great to see all of your faces and hear this room resound with your voices it is so good to worship together amen Amen. rich and Rosie and their wonderful family are away on vacation hence I am here Um, I've been seeing some amazing photos so I kind of wish I was there but they did not want a baggage carrier so I don't know Uh, but as a church if we can be praying for our lead pastor and his the family um, they give so much. And so let's pray that this is truly a restorative, joy giving, renewing time together as a church. My name is Helen Kim Nowak. I'm pastor of community life here at the church. And we have been in a series called the lexicon of faith. And a lexicon is the vocabulary of words that make up anything for a subject or a language. So for instance, a Greek lexicon would give a ton of the words that make up the Greek language. A lexicon of baseball has words like home run, stolen base, um, things that are unique to that particular subject. And today we look at a lexicon of the Christian faith, because words matter. And there's things that are very particular to our faith that convey very specific things that mean something to us. And unless we understand those words and what they are, we kind of miss out on what we have been given in our faith. So for example, we have this word evangelist and so we know as Christians, you know, to evangelize means to share our faith um, and it means something very particular, but you can also have a job as a chief evangelist of Apple, you know, and that means that you are the foremost ambassador of your brand. This person is devoted to Apple to making sure it is marketed, that people are really catching what is so enticing about Apple, just speaking about it constantly, putting it out there constantly. And so there is some correlation to what we mean by evangelism. But it is quite different, isn't it? Because when we share our faith, the news that we share is not just a brand that you can pick and choose. It is a message of life and death. It means something when someone comes to faith in Christ. And that is why a person evangelizes, and often throughout history and even today, at cost to themselves. People today and in the past have given their lives as an evangelist. We see it in scripture as well. So words matter and what they mean for our faith, not just the culture at large, really matter because they convey something to us and helps us grasp the full treasure of what we've been given. So, so far we've looked at gospel and grace and today I get to talk about sin. (laughs) Yay me! (laughs) You know, when the roster went out with the topics, I was like, hmm, God has a sense of humor or Rich does? You know, like, like, thanks guys, gospel, grace, sin. All right, all right. But actually I'm pretty excited to talk about this word because over my Christian journey, it has increasingly become a word that I realize is key to the gospel. If we don't get sin right, we don't get gospel right. If we don't get sin right and we fully understand how, what it really is, we don't even grasp what grace really is, the grace we've been given, as good as it sounds. And so what is sin? Sin is such a word that is not popular today. Right? It's considered archaic, it's sensitive. If you say, oh, that's sinful, people look at you like, so judgmental, right? It's not a welcome word except on a menu. You know, I just Googled sinful desserts and instantly it was easy to find. I mean, there was like a plethora, of very, very decadent looking overflowing with sugar and icing and candy uh, kind of desserts. And so it's welcome. Sin is a welcome word in our culture when it comes to decadence, especially when it comes to a food menu. And it literally means just like, you know, pouring with sugar upon sugar. But sin in the Christian faith is so much more than just decadence or eating tons of sugar. It is a profound word that talks about the reality of what exists in our world something that has tainted corrupted the reality of our world at its core and our own hearts no one is apart from sin we are all colored and affected by sin and so it is something so much more than just a chocolate cake it is something destructive that is at work in all of us and in the world i love the way that one theologian cornelius plantinga puts sin He has a wonderful book on the topic. There's so much you could say, but he has a great book on it. But he defines it as sin is describing that things are not the way it's supposed to be. And isn't that true? When we look around the news, when we look at the things in our own lives, some examples. And these are all true stories that we've heard sometimes multiple times. An office employee witnesses something in the office that they should not have, because it is harmful to many people, but at a price, zips his mouth and keeps quiet. Though it is costly to many other employees, perhaps, or to those that the company serves, zips his mouth. A mother of a competitive junior cheerleader hires a hit man to kill the mother of a competing, junior high cheerleader, in hopes that this girl's bereavement will make her lose focus and so her daughter will win. During the Second World War, the U.S. Department of Treasury discovered, through market research, that it would sell way more war bonds if they targeted the Japanese, though the Japanese had no known case of Japanese-American espionage. So they painted them as a caricature of yellow, toothy, looking demonic and evil, squinting. And so people rallied against that, and more money was raised. Over 110,000 Americans of Japanese descent were interned, including 60,000 who are American citizens, innocent, but so that our country could raise the money they wanted. An affluent student gets into an Ivy League school because someone else takes a test for them and then their wealthy family gives a large donation to the school. And rather than playing with fellow children and going to school, an estimated 1.2 children are trafficked every year. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. They are grievously not the way they're supposed to be. And not just out there, But within us so today we're going to take a deep dive into what is sin how do i spot sin in my life because that is the key to the gospel we do this not to be going on a downhill road and going woe is me but identify the reality of sin so that we see how precious amazing is our gospel and so sin describes the reality of this world it is not the way it's supposed to be so what is it supposed to be well, we see in scripture in genesis that god created this world and if you don't believe in a god then it's hard to understand sin because you can just be born into a world and go well everyone lies and yeah i mean some people end up murdering and it just is this is the way it is but as christians we believe that there is a god who created this world and the reason it's not the way it's supposed to be sin is because god actually intended for the world to be a place of shalom freedom and well-being and intimacy and love and joy, no tears, no sadness, such closeness that the first human beings were naked and unashamed. They had no concept of shame. They could freely talk with each other, laugh together, share with God and each other. That is the way it's supposed to be but sin enters the world because God creates this garden and in this vast, vast garden that had lots of yummy things and good things, plenty to explore, there was one tree that God said, do not eat of this because it will bring death. And Adam and Eve looked at everything else and saw the one thing, don't we all do this, <laughs> saw the one thing that was like, hands off, it will bring death. And even with those warnings, so well, maybe God is holding out on us. And essentially, maybe I know something and I can know something more and I know better than God. He gave us this rule, but is it really worth following? And they take hold of that fruit, eat it, and sin enters the world. And shalom is broken. It is no longer the way it's supposed to be. And sin is actually death. God said, if you eat of this tree, there will be death. You will die. And he was right. Death enters into everything from how people interact, how people see themselves, how people see others, how people see God, how distant we are from God. So our passage today is from Genesis 3, 6 to 13, looking at this story. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And now look what happens. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And instantly we see in this story, broken shalom. Look at this answer that the man gives. God asks and no, like they were both given the instructions by God, you know, they were clear and yet the blame begins. There is pride here, protection of the self, throwing everyone else, you know, cost to others. The woman, she doesn't even, she's not even Eve anymore. The woman, you put here, there's two things going on here, the woman and God, you put her here. I didn't, if you didn't put her here, Maybe it would be a different story, but there is blame and there is just like disownership of the mistake he has made. Nothing in here is an apology. This is why I ate it. And when God talks to the woman, what does she say? Not like, oh, I messed up. I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. It just looks so enticing. She doesn't confess that. She goes, the serpent, which, you know, is a creature God made, deceived me and I ate. So what do we have here is shalom that is broken and things are not the way it's supposed to be and this kind of division goes from here to generation to generation generation and we see this as soon as they're banished from eden we see this story happening in genesis 4 with their kids so they have a first child named cain and it says in the course of time cain brought us brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the lord and abel sin is crouching at your door it desires to have you but you must rule over it and so we see what happens now cain said to his brother abel let's go out to the field while they were in the field cain attacked his brother abel and killed him then the lord said to cain where is your brother abel i don't know he replied am i my brother's keeper and so this harsh story that is just frightening to think of right portrays the crack in the shalom that runs through all of us Cain, so consumed his younger brother's offering was accepted by god and rather than saying oh you know what he prepared the best of his best and i just kind of brought whatever i could find i need to do better and instead of going that route he said oh He got accepted by God. I I can't stand the sight of him. And rather than looking at anything about himself, he just fixated on Abel and decided, escalated that envy and that pride until all he could do was annihilate him. He killed his brother because his offering wasn't accepted by God. What an awful thing, but we see it, the story repeat again and again. Jacob, Esau, Leah, Rachel, David and Saul, Herod and Jesus, again and again and in our own lives, I see envy rise up in me. I see pride rise up in me. Do you? Sin, broken shalom, is very much a reality of our lives, and things are not the way it's supposed to be. As C.S. Lewis points it, that sin is not just something on its own, but it points to something else. Goodness is, so to speak, itself good is good badness is only spoiled goodness and there must be something good first before it can be spoiled and sin is spoiled goodness but much more than that sounds right spoiled goodness sounds like eh, it's like something left in the fridge is spoiled you know if only if only sin was that but sin is a destructive spoiled goodness as good as good is god's goodness is amazing it has no end It is crystal clear and pure hearted. So imagine the reverse of that. That is sin. It's not just something slightly rotten. It's rotten to the core. And so as we look at some ways to process sin, like how do we identify in our lives? The reason I do this is that it's so important that we identify sin in our lives to recognize that that is who we are. We are born sinners. And as we get that right, we come to understand, oh my gosh, Jesus is amazing. Wow, the sacrifice on the cross, amazing. And your heart becomes moved and alive because you see the sin in your life. So as we look at it, I wanna use how one theologian puts it that sin can be looked at as attack and as flight. And the first is sin as attack. It means that the move, a movement to assault or bring violence on others, whatever the scale. And so we see the obvious examples of, a, of violence, right? Murder, rape, assault. Those are very clear, uh, obvious examples of violence. But what about lying? Even we hear out of the mouth of sweet looking little children, I didn't do it, he did it, she did it, right? Instantly comes out. Something to hide us, but what is in that? But lying continues, not just for children, but for all of us. We see it in the workplace, in our families, among siblings, with coworkers, roommates, right? And sometimes we see, we get to see how destructive it is. It can slander people, position people in the wrong way so that others start questioning other people with gossip. It can destroy marriages. Lying is profound, profoundly impactful because it is destructive at its core. It is sin, a sin of attack. And underlying is often envy. People lie because they want what other people have and they want to put themselves forward. And envy, a way to describe it, is wanting what another has, but even more, wanting the other not to have it. Envy resents what is good for someone else and really wants to spoil it for them. Why does bad news sell? Why does gossip sell? We want to know that something went wrong for that person that everything looks to be so good. I've seen that in my own life, in my own heart. And I see it happening all around us, don't you? I remember the first time I went to Korea, I was visiting and staying with my aunt. And she was like feeding us a storm, but she was also not well even as much as she tried to take care of us because she was physically hurting, her back was hurting. And then I kind of tried to find out what was going on, and later she told us. And so apparently her job was to be a salesperson, and so she was doing super well at her job. Really loved it. She's such a people person, so it was so good with talking with people and selling her product. And in the office, they were ranking people, right? So. She was making top sales so she kept going up that ladder and it was very clear who was number 1, who was 2, who was 3 and she was up there. She was 1 and she was staying there. And so in the office was a coworker who was quite envious of her clearly because one day when she came back to her chair where there were rolling chairs in the office desk as she sat down that office the coworker kicked it out so that she would end up falling. What is it that rises in us that wants to see the pain in someone doing well because we are not getting what they get, right? And because of that, she was injured, had to go to a lot of therapy. You know, it was really bad. And I was shocked at that age to find out like, wow, that was a blatant attack. Sin as attack. But all of the sin in us that violates and comes against and attacks people in all ranges, Whether it's as blatant and visible as a pushing aside a chair or not so seen is sin. But there's also sin as flight. And remember, as we look at this, to look at it and see where do you line up? I see myself in so many of these. And as we name this, we will get to the good news of the gospel because it makes it so much more brighter and we can see it so much more accurately for what it is. So sin as flight is a movement to ignore others, whatever the scale. It could be a small thing of just like walking by someone intentionally not looking because you know they're trying to talk to you, but it could be so much more. And so there's eight ways that Plantinga gives that I really love that I was like, whoa, this really names how I evade my responsibility to others and how I sin. So the first one is conforming. Conforming examples would be things like gang violence or bullying or in the office clustering together just to go along with the flow, even though you know there's damage on the other end because you do that. Imitating the actions of others even though it means harm. Conforming. There's conniving, where you shut one's eyes, where you shut your eyes to an injustice, looking the other way, pretending you don't see evil. A name that many of us would know that's just such a graphic story that reminds us of the reality of conniving is Kitty Genovese. Familiar name, right? She was a 28-year-old back in 1964, going home late because her job was to be a manager of a bar. But she lived in a quiet neighborhood, and it was a good neighborhood. And as she went home, at that time, she was stabbed. And in 35 minutes, She was crying out for help, but she was stabbed consecutively three different times as the person kept following her until finally, in the last one, she died. But she was crying out, and so windows were going up. People were trying to listen. No one called the police. 35 minutes of hearing something going on in the neighborhood, and no one called the police. And afterwards, people were trying to understand why. They're like, I don't know. One man actually asked someone else that he knew, like, what should I do? And the person was like, call the police. Can you call the police? But isn't there something odd? But whenever, whatever the reason, whenever we shut an eye to evil that is happening, we are conniving with evil. Leaving town is literally leaving to escape a place. Maybe there's someone you want to avoid. Maybe there's a situation you'd rather not see. In this world is so easy, because it's a global world, to go somewhere else. And whether that's something like a parent abandoning a child, or during World War II, where the wealthy, who often had to make influential decisions for the war, kept going away for their weekend, their country weekend home. Oh, this is what I do, because I can do this. I need a vacation. And so decisions for the war were held up, lives were at stake, because the people who had to make those key decisions were missing. Specializing, distancing by focusing on technicalities rather than impact on people. A way to do this might be when we hide at work, like we just fixate on the work strategy, and if we know that it's actually harmful or what is being done is harmful, not looking at the end goal, but looking at the strategy, the method, getting really good at a method, and distancing ourselves. In the military, that happens a lot. Minimizing. This is when we, play a pa- we pay a part rather than what is fully owed. So I say, I'm sorry, but I don't actually repent. Or a parent who has a child sends a birthday card, but not the child's support. Just going and doing something little, minimizing. Then there's going limp. And isn't this list crazy? Like, are you feeling like exposed and exposed and like, oh, Going limp, playing dead, doing nothing, and doing it repeatedly. Not really working and taking the paycheck. Um, I know I've experienced tenured teachers who never taught me anything. All right, <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's one that comes to mind, okay. I have wonderful teachers as well, guys. Um, but I did have a teacher that totally did not do anything right? Things like that, just playing dead, watching TV until you know the characters better than the people around you. Just going limp. Cocooning is retreating into your cozy nest with those that you find most safe. Your family, your friends, your church, and not really looking at what's going on around you. So the homeless person you passed, the woman in need, you know, whoever it is, the stories on the news, shutting that out. Cocooning. So that you don't have to be affected by what's actually going on and the last amusing ourselves to death and we have a plethora of ways to do this don't we netflix all the streaming things but it's a way to avoid responsibility amusement is good unless we use it to avoid responsibility as a way to block out the noise block out the things that god is calling us to whether that's our family our education places of need around us. These are all ways that we evade. We take flight and in the flight is sin. These are all ways that show that things are not the way it's supposed to be. We are not the way we're supposed to be. There's something so wrong. And when we get this right, when when we can name where we are in this, because I see myself in quite a number of these, then we can appreciate the gospel. And so let's look at romans 6:23, which tells us that the wages of sin is death and isn't that true when we look at that whole list there is just death all over it death is not just a physical death it is in the words the mindset the way we interact death is at work across our world and there's no place it has not touched and so we see that the wages of sin is death and ultimately that it's not just our words and minds that have died but because we're separated from god We are dead. The only way to live is in God, but we don't have that in sin. 1 John 4.20 describes whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And isn't that such a convicting word? Because it's so easy to worship and be like, God, you're amazing. You're so worthy of it all. I can't stand this person, but you are worthy of it all. <laughs> Have you not? <laughs> you know? Or like we come in from a fight. Ugh. But Lord, thank you so much for being with me, and you love me, you know? And, but the truth is that if we can't love those we see all around us, and we say we love God, there's a gap. There is sin. And this other verse in 1 John 1.10 says, if we claim to be without sin, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It is so important for for us to know truth as Christians, we need to know sin and see it in our lives. We will never grasp the gospel if we don't understand that we are truly sinful creatures, every single one of us, and we live in a wrecked shalom. Things are not the way it's supposed to be with each of us and in our world. But this is not the end of the story, praise God there's a second half to Romans 6:23 that many of us know well for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord sin brings death it is a default outcome where there is sin it ends in death where there is sin it is not default that it ends in eternal life never there's no way we can earn or somehow it becomes a thing that sin deserves eternal life it is always a gift of God and so what we could not do rescue had to come from the outside Jesus does and so where God sees sin he already knew what his plan was because he knew Adam and Eve and what they would do and he was prepared and he knew what he had to do and how costly it would be and still he did it that he gave us eternal life not death He ended death, gave us life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we can only see that when we see how costly sin is, because sin is costly. Second Corinthians 521 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God to be sin for us. Jesus became sin on the cross. And Oliver O'Donovan says something really beautiful. That you know that Cain and Abel story, that on the cross, Jesus became both, represented both innocent Abel and guilty Cain. He was innocent, and yet he became sin so that he can reconcile the two and with God. So the two could be reconciled, the innocent and the guilty with God for eternity. And that is what we've been given. And this slain Jesus didn't stay dead, but God raised him up. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And for all of us, where sin reigns, as we have given our lives to Christ, life reigns. We have hope because of Christ. And so I don't know where you are as you're hearing this about sin, like, oh my goodness. Maybe you're overwhelmed, like, wow. What do I do with this? A perfect way to come is with confession. Because we have been given life. And the way we claim it is to come again and again to the one who gives it to us. There's this contrast in Romans 6.23 that says, for the wages of sin is death. But Jesus says in John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So the Christian response looks at sin, grace, and the gospel. And what's really, really cool is this. Sin can't really be talked about without grace. We talked about grace last week, and notice that Drew, Pastor Drew talked about sin quite a bit right, in that story he gave. But sin can't be talked about grace because as stubborn as sin is, God is more stubborn in chasing after you. Wherever you are, doesn't matter. God is there for you, and He will outlast anyone or anything else because He loves you. That is good news, amen? And at the same time, we can't talk about grace without talking about sin because grace is cheap unless we know that there was a cost because of sin. And grace for us is always blood-stained. There was a costliness to that grace. And what's so good is that the more we understand that God is gracious, like, oh, my gosh, what did I do to deserve this? But he's just this gracious God, loves to bless, loves to love on us, even where we are. No matter how far we come, no matter what we've done, he is so gracious. And the more we see that, the more free we become to come to him with our sin, which is such a beautiful thing. The more loved we are, you know how it frees you up? Like a kid who knows that they're really secure with their parents' love feels freedom to share what they've done. But the kid that's not secure is like, nope, did not, I will not get another punishment, no thank you but we are free to come. And that is why we have this gospel, which looks at both. The gospel is also meaningless unless we see the reality of sin and the costliness, the bloodstained grace that also exists because of sin. The gospel is good news because we all deserve death. And Jesus took the cost. It was a painful cost. It was not an easy thing to offer. He became sin for us that we may have life so that sin no longer has a last word and for everyone who believes in jesus sin never has a last word we always have jesus to come to and so what does this mean for us joyful confession marks the life of the church joyful confession do you ever think about it that way Or does confession sound like, oh, I have to confess, I have to confess, you know, beating my back. But Christianity, the real truth is that confession is joyful. Why? Because we're running to a gracious God, and we know he has set us free, right? He is righteous and just, and he has made us righteous in him simply because we accept Jesus. The Bible tells us that again and again, he loves us. And that's why it's a joyful confession. And the way we actually grow as a Christian is going from repentance to repentance. Tim Keller, who recently passed away, what a gift, what a gift to our church, the church at large. He said, the more you see your own flaws and sins, the more precious, electrifying, and amazing God's grace appears. And I really sat and you know, he, his article on this was so profound for me and cause I used to shy away from confession. If you follow Enneagram, I'm a one. So, you know, goodness, I am good. I am wonderful. Tell me more. I do not want to look at what I'm not good at because you know, I'm all about goodness. And so confession was such a learning curve for me. And so when I read this and I started thinking about it, I was like, this is so true. The way I grow and mature in Christ is from repentance to repentance. It is not strength to strength in the Christian language. It's not just good things to good things. It is actually in weakness, naming that before God, depending on Him, receiving from Him because I've named it, His gifts, and going to the next thing. And so in my life, I remember early in my preaching, when I started preaching uh, way in the beginning, you know, I really love communicating. You know, so I was like, Oh, so I remember teaching like a bunch of, I don't know, junior high kids or something. And I was running down the stairs in my church after teaching them, like just thrilling in how fun it was and and that I was pretty good. Right. So then I go running down the stairs and suddenly I tripped on the stairs and I caught myself, but there was a conviction in my heart because I was thinking the thought as I tripped and then an instant conviction placed in my heart that God was like, hey, Hey, I gave you this and this is for my glory. And it was a wonderful moment of like, ooh, God sees me everywhere, even the stairway, thinking a thought, going down the stairs, you know, even after I just poured myself out, preparing the sermon and giving it, but God sees me. And he confronted me in that quick moment, but it was a gift because that made me see, yeah, this is not for me. And it made me turn towards him. And even recently I was at the gym you know, and it was crowded and as I came down the stairs with my husband, there was a weird guy that was there. He was like trying to look at me, and, you know, and I just was like, oh, okay, I am not doing this today. It's hot outside, <laughs> it's like I'm sweating. I am just not ready to engage somebody. And I totally turned aside and like walked by it. Maybe it wouldn't have been safe, but still, I totally purposely did not even try to let him enter my vision. And as I did that, I was again convicted. You know like this is an image bearer someone precious to god and regardless yes maybe he has issues and there's things going on and you know but i could look at him and just kind of take him in and go even pray for him even if i don't engage him i could let him affect me but i refuse to do that and that was sin it was evasion and so the christian life matures as we go from repentance to repentance because that's good for me to see I need to see that about myself because then it shows me where I need God. And it calls me again to the gospel that man, I am messed up. But God is pretty stubborn about me, and He's stubborn about you. And He's going to take you from repentance to repentance because that's why He came. And so I encourage you to make confession a daily practice, a joyful confession. Not a, oh, I have to do this. It's a religious thing to do. It's a God loves me confession. I am free to come. And he knows what I need when I confess. And I can go from strength to strength through weakness. Let's pray. I just want to give you a time to just think about where you are with sin. Is confession a practice in your life? Is this something you avoid thinking about? And how is God inviting you today to look at sin with him so that you can see him better? Would you come before him and confess where you are? we come to you from very different places and God would you open our eyes as a church to the reality of sin both in our world and in our lives that things are not the way supposed to be and that in you things are the way it's supposed to be and it can only be found in you God so help us would you help us to individually see sin in our lives to have courage, Lord, if we are afraid to look at sin, would you show us your grace? Show us the crazy, limitless lengths of your grace, the depths of your grace, so that we would know we are truly free to come with our sin. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that is wrestling with sin and feels like sin is winning. Would you encourage people today, all across this room and online, that you are more stubborn than any sin. And as we turn to you, we can resist sin. We have been given power and authority in the name of Jesus through his blood-stained grace to resist sin. And I pray that as a church, we would rally around each other, that we could be a place that is truly different because we are free to confess sins knowing that it's all about you and what you've done. Would you strengthen us and help us to go from repentance to repentance today? God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your blood-stained grace. Lord, the reality of sin is that it's so lethal and you took the lethal reality of it on your body, on who you are, Jesus. Thank you for your cross. We have all that we have because of you. So may we have eyes to see it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey amen, I'm gonna invite you to stand one, one more time as we sing in response to that message.